we are in a massive asset bubble. And the question is, will it collapse or will the Fed keep printing money to inflate it away? I don't know, but let's take a deep dive into Pepsi. I'll explain exactly why I think the market's overvalued and what we're going to have to do about that. Give me 20 minutes. I'm going to deep dive into PepsiCo and I'll show you exactly why this stock is overpriced. Hello, welcome to Rational Investing. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. Thank you for watching the channel and listening to the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. This channel is dedicated to the rational cash flow investor, where we look at stocks from a deep dive value perspective and build up to see what the true cash flow of the business is. And then based on that cash flow, what is a reasonable price to pay for that cash flow? And we look for five key attributes, and they are as follows. Number one, top line revenue growth. We need growing revenue. Number two, earnings. We look at enterprise level earnings, not EPS. Number three, strong free cash flow. Number four, low debt. And number five, a well-priced stock. What is a well-priced stock? Well, we would like to beat the market over the long term. So a well-priced stock is a stock that today, if I bought it, it would outperform the market in 10 years. All right, let's take a deep dive into Pepsi Company. Uh, I'm gonna pull up behind me the cash flow one page. You can find it at my website, cashflowinvestingpro.com. We have a team of analysts. This is David, one of our star analysts, running this process and reviewing Pepsi. He follows the stock and we publish this report uh, that gives you 10 years of historical financial information as well as a whole host of graphs and charts. I'm gonna go through to show you exactly what this looks like. And then we can kind of deep dive into Pepsi to see how much cash flow this stock actually makes. Now, before we begin, I wanna remind you to read the annual reports of all of your uh, the stock investments that you make. Make sure you read and understand the business that you're putting your money into. And remember, if you're buying a stock, you're buying it for 10, 20, 30 years. If you read books like uh, 100 Baggers or, or 1 to 100, either of those books really, uh, those stocks that grew 100 times were held for 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, and it's entirely possible to have that kind of growth. You just need to hang on for a long, long time. And that's ultimately the problem. We always go, you know, hey, there's greener pasture. There's, there's, the grass is always greener. And so we end up selling a stock when in reality, we should have just have done nothing. All right, let's take a deep dive into Pepsi. Behind me, you can see is the one page you can find at cashflowinvestingpro.com. A one page is simply a one page summary you can print out. They look like this. You put them on your desk and you can kind of collect them for the stocks that you would love to own, but are simply too, too expensive right now. So let's deep dive into the revenue. So here we go. These numbers behind me are in millions. Uh, 2013, Pepsi has $66.4 billion of top line revenue. And that revenue has grown very weakly. 3% annual CAGR over this last decade. Most recent number they put up 86 billion, 86.4 billion dollars is a big jump from the prior year of 79, the big jump from the prior year of that 70. So they've gone from 70 to 86 billion dollars in three years, mainly price increases due to inflation. Uh, overall, the long term period of time, the average price increase for revenue has been 3%. Earnings. We look at EBITDA. No, EBITDA is not cash flow. And yes, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger do uh, look down on EBITDA, which is perfectly reasonable because it's not cash flow. And people always assume EBITDA is cash flow. It's not. That's why we look at cash flow in a second. But what EBITDA is, is EBITDA is a representation of cash flow from the income statement that excludes 
uh, one-time or non-core business operating income expenses, such as closing down a facility or acquisition costs, settlements, legal, uh, law, environmental issues, pension adjustments, currency translations, a lot of things that are outside the quote-unquote normal day-to-day -day business operations. If you're buying a business for the next 10, 20, 30 years, you want to strip away what that kind of the noise in the day-to-day um, the, the, the -day or the quarter-to-quarter results to look at a long-term trend on the quote-unquote core business. That's what we do. We look at earnings before, interest, tax, depreciation, and amortization. If you keep it to those core items that you're adding back, it's a reasonable uh, number and metric to use. Where it gets a, a bad rap is that companies use what's called adjusted EBITDA, where they add back all kinds of garbage, uh, anything really, uh, and, they, they, and they pass it off as though that's EBITDA or cash flow, which is even worse. It's not. It is simply a proxy of what cash flow could be with only the income statement as your basis. With that definition, what I'm seeing here is $12.3 billion has grown very weakly to $14.9 billion. That's a 2%, 2% annual growth. That's a nominal growth, by the way. Inflation over this time has been about that, given it was so low historically. And recently, it's been 6 8 to 5%, depends on what, where you draw your marker. But over the time, over the long term here, 10 years, Earnings for this business has grown 2% annually over that time, which is currently below the inflation rate. So this business is growing very, very slowly. It is growing, revenue and EBITDA, but these, inflation, these growth rates are nothing to write home about. Let's take a look at debt. Debt, total long-term, total short-term, and capital leases. 20, $29 billion has grown to $441 billion. That growth rate of debt is larger than both revenue and EBITDA. So debt is growing faster than earnings to support the debt. I would expect the multiple here on debt to go up. Cash, excess cash growing at 3%. This is going to massively up, massively down. I'm going to write that off and move us move along. Uh, market cap, shares outstanding times price. $128 billion market cap to $250 billion. A quarter trillion dollar market cap in a decade. Growth rate on average, average annual growth rate, 8% in the uh, the market cap. I add debt, market cap, less cash, I get enterprise value. What is enterprise value? Enterprise value is the number you should care about. The market cap, what's, what trades in the stock market is the equity price. Ooh, it moves back and forth all the time. Who knows why? Who cares why? It is simply an offering by the by the market gods of what you could or could not buy this company for it has really very little bearing on value when you look day to day. But if I take market cap, it excludes debt. So this $253 billion market cap is missing $41 billion of debt that's obligated. And for, God forbid, something happened to Pepsi, that $41 billion would have to be paid back prior to you, the equity holder, getting a dime out of this $250 billion. So you add these up and you get enterprise value. Enterprise value is the number you want. It's the value of the entire business. So what do we do? Well, we look at the value of the entire business and we compare that to how much the earnings of the entire business are. And you get an EBITDA multiple. You get enterprise value divided by EBITDA. This is basically kind of a, a year payback or if, if the business is throwing off uh, cash flow in quotes because it's income statement. We'll get to cash flow in a second. But the business is throwing off some cash flow, meaning EBITDA annually. How many years of cash flow are you forward buying when you buy the company at today's price? So if I buy it 
at a $294 billion market cap, and it's making just shy of $15 billion a year, while it's going to take me almost 20 years for the business to earn its own value back. And when you're investing, the number one rule investing is don't lose money. The number two, second rule is don't forget the first. What you're trying to do is try to get a business that you're going to get your money back and kind of play with the house's capital, if you will, over time. And, and the best way that I think you can do that, it's a personal opinion, is to buy businesses that are at a reasonable price. Not necessarily the cheapest cigar butt companies that don't grow, but you want to find a medium between what a company's growing at a decent pace over time and not pay too much for that. And in my opinion, looking at this number, paying 20 for 20 years forward earnings for a business that's growing at 2%, which is below inflation, seems a little overvalued in my opinion. So you get a ratio here where it's traded from... Uh, 13 times to 20 times, you notice this has gone up over time. This going up is everyone diving into the stock market, seeking growth uh, during the euphoria of everything because nobody knows where to put their money if the world is coming down, if there's inflation. Typically, at least historically, equities have been a great place to hold money during inflation. Especially if the Fed keeps printing money, I would expect real assets should continue to go higher. The debt to EBITDA ratio is a leverage ratio, a risk of bankruptcy, if you will. We want less than three times debt to EBITDA because a senior bank will lend you three times EBITDA on a business. And you can see for the most part, it's been less than three times, even now 2.8, that's okay, it checks the box. All right, so we have a business that's growing revenue, growing earnings, uh, it, is, it has low debt. Let's check, check cash flow, then we'll forecast this business. Hey, sorry to interrupt. If you like the content, please subscribe. I greatly appreciate it. Also, if you want more stock tips, check my website out, cashflowinvestingpro.com, where I produce one-pagers like this one, summarizing 10 years of financial information for America Express. I give you a forecast of what I think it's going to do, and currently, I think it's yield 23% IRR for the next decade. An amazing stock pick. There's lots more. Check out the link below for a free one-pager at cashflowinvestingpro.com. So if I scroll up in the uh, cashflow one-pager, I get the primary section, which is our cashflow section, where the rubber meets the roll. I mean, it's my favorite statement, it's your favorite statement, it's the cash flow statement. Always the third statement, by the way. When you look at a 10K, you get the balance sheet first, income statement, and then cash flow. Why does the balance sheet come first? Well, back in the day, maybe 100 years ago or so, uh, bonds was the gentleman's investment, and they put the, the balance sheet first because that's the collateral on the bonds, and so that's what everybody wanted to see. That's why the balance sheet typically comes first. Adjusted free, free cash flow. Free cash flow from operations. Free cash flow from operations is the first third of the cash flow statement. Then you have investing, then you have financing. Cash flow from operations is the cash money, pure cash money, the business made from running the business. The next section is how they invested that. The section after that is how they financed the operation. But the very first third, it's usually bold, and they'll say cash flow from operations, it'll be a number. You want that number obviously to be positive and obviously to be growing. The first thing you want to check is that the growth rate is directionally the same as what you're seeing in the income statement. That means the good people in the accounting department who work very, very hard to get numbers out every single quarter and, and do a phenomenal job, that they are expensing costs properly. If you see a company where the cash flow statement is going down and the adjusted in EBITDA, adjusted EBITDA is going up, you have a major problem. The, the company is not being you know, forthcoming with everything, possibly, but most likely. Um, so you want to be careful of that. In this case, they're both positive, they're weak, but they're both positive and going north. Good job, accounting team. 
So adjusted cash flow, we make small adjustments here because cash flow has timing issues. If I pay down inventory, if I take on inventory, if I make big payments on my, my, my uh, accounts payable, it's gonna fluctuate more than the income statement. That's why the income statement lets you amortize costs over time, but people want cash money today. So cash flow will be more volatile. One adjustment we make is we expense stock-based comp. It's been absolutely abused the last two, three, five, ten years. And so we just write it right off and that helps us gauge some of the unicorn stocks that were bearing or hiding stock-based comp in the adjusted EBITDA line. We treat it like a cash cost. So that's what you're seeing here. So they grew uh, adjusted free cash flow from $9.4 billion to a whopping $10.4 billion. That's a $1 billion increase in cash flow over a decade. That's a 1% growth. Hardly, in my opinion, worth 20x for. CapEx, what is CapEx? CapEx is the cash they have to peel off to go build more factories, update the Pepsi production line, uh, repaint things, new infrastructure, ERP systems, all that stuff that's invested in the business to keep the wheels moving. It's not, it's not buying new businesses. That is a different category. This is things that require maintenance. If you have a pizza oven, as an example, you make pizzas, you gotta keep that oven working properly in order to make your pizzas. So if you have to change the bricks in the back, you need to put a new gas line into the pizza oven, uh, that is CapEx. That's what this number represents. It has to happen. You'll notice this is growing faster than both revenue, EBITDA, and cash flow operations as they look to either A, expand, or B, uh, adjust to the rising costs of infrastructure, $5.2 billion. So what happened was last year, they made $10.4 billion of jack. If you just envision $10 billion at the end of the year sitting in the bank account and they're like, what do we do with this money? Well, the very first thing they're gonna do is they're gonna put money back in CapEx. So they're basically gonna have this money, 10.4 billion, 5.2, that's 50%. So they're gonna take 50% of the money and say, okay, this is gonna go back into the business. I'm left with 5.2 billion. Now what? I gotta pay debt. Debt here is here. You can see last year they paid $810 million worth of debt, not that much. Debt is growing, as we saw here, Debt is growing at 4%, but they're not paying it down a whole lot last year. So they had $5.2 billion of left. They peeled off $800 million and gave it to the debt holders. And they have about $4.3 billion left in cash flow to the equity owners, you and me. This is what we're buying. And when you buy a business, you're, you're buying that the value of the business is based on this free cash flow to equity owners and what we think that cash flow is gonna be out in the future. That's it. And the movement in the stock price up and down is people speculating on what that cash flow in the future is gonna be worth and what is it worth to me to the present day. So you can see $4.4 billion free cash flow, the E means to equity as opposed to if you see free FCF, that's just free cash flow generally to the firm, which excludes the debt. It's just basically this piece, free cash flow. That's what a lot of people quote. But because most companies have gone out and over leveraged themselves so much, you absolutely have to take into consideration how much debt they have to pay down. In this case, Pepsi doesn't really have to pay much down because in my opinion, it is uh, not overly levered. So they can continue to flow through a very small amount of debt payment and most of this cash will come through to the equity holders. So that's what happened here. Shares outstanding. 
it looks like they've been buying back shares of one about 1% annually for the last decade. They started the decade with 1.56 billion shares at sitting. That number is now 1.483. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Pepsi is taking, is really borrowing some money here because debt's growing. Debt's growing. Um, they have some free cash flows. They make cash flow. Debt's growing. They combine the two. They pay a dividend to the shareholders. They go make acquisitions, which they've done, and they buy back shares. And when they buy back shares, they take the cash, they buy stock in the open market, and they tear up the shares and cancel them. And by doing that, they take the pie that has, say, 10 slices in it, and each slice is this big, what have you, and they reduce it. Now that slice has eight slices in it. Each pie slice gets bigger. That means that if you own the stock a decade ago, your percentage of ownership of that company is now larger than it used to be. And that's why earnings per share, EPS, net income divided by shares outstanding, will go up on companies that are buying back stock, even if earnings are flat. And that's why we don't look at EPS all that closely, because the companies that we want to buy need to be growing top line revenue and need to be growing enterprise earnings, this number, before the manipulation of stock buyback. I'm happy for stock buyback, totally happy for it. But I want it to be compounding a company which can already grow EBITDA, and they can. So they've been borrowing money to buy back shares. You take the, sh the free cash flow equity divide by shares, you get free cash flow per share. You take your average stock price, you divide the two, and you get a yield. The yield is much like a multiple. It's basically the inverse of a multiple. So I get $3.19 of free cash flow. I divide it by a stock price of $182, and I get a, a cash flow, free cash flow yield of 1.7%, which is a tiny yield. Current interest rates, <clears throat> uh, at least the 10-year treasury is north of 5%, roughly. Uh, so I can buy a risk-free treasury bond backed by the good faith of the U.S. government. Ironically, we're on the cusp of a default because they won't raise the debt ceiling or cut back spending. But that issue aside for a minute, you can buy a risk-free debt obligation for 5% uh, yield. Or you can buy or you can buy PepsiCo that's yielding 1.7% and has the risk of volatility of price going up and going down. I'll leave that to you to judge. <clears throat> Let's review these numbers. So we've got top line revenue growth, we've got earnings growth, we've got manageable debt, we've got cash flow, which I will give a, a strong to, I'll check the box because it is positive and it's growing, albeit weekly. The question is, is it well-priced? We got a forecast to see. Let's forecast. Okay, by the way, if you wanna learn how to forecast, I do teach a course. I highly recommend you do it. I'm a CFO by profession. I've trained lots of analysts who work for me and have worked for me at other jobs how to do this effectively. I was also in investment banking for many years and have gotten very used to using Excel with no mouse. Happy to show you those tricks. But please take a look at uh, cashflowinvestingpro.com. Check out my investing course. I will give you an Excel sheet. I'll walk you through how to do Apple. We will review revenue, EBITDA, debt, share splits, reverse splits, how to forecast, what's a yield, what's a market multiple, risk return. I'll, I'll teach you the basics of financial analysis that you can build and model for every one of your portfolios and at least have a little bit greater understanding of how a price forecast when you read the barons or you look at yahoo finance or goldman sachs says they expect pepsico to be at x price you can kind of have a better feeling of what's behind that number and what 
What risks will cause that number to go up and down? Because the reality is no one knows the future and Wall Street analysts are no better at guessing prices than you and I. Forecasting. This is basically me saying I'm making up numbers. There's some logic to it, but it's all a guess. We are buying stock for the future earnings and it is a guess. You do not want to pay too much for that guess because, you know, as Ray Dalio says, it's not what you know that kills you, it's what you think you know for certain for certain that just isn't so. That is what's going to kill you. And so if you lean too hard into a forecast and believe it too much, it's going to bite you. Forecasting, basically 4% annually going forward, which is higher because of inflation, 15.4 billion, growing it over time to 21 billion, applying a 16 times market multiple, less debt plus Cascamia equity value of $310 billion out 10 years from now, gives me a fully diluted shares, divide the two, and I get a price target of $2.23 out 10 years for Pepsi. We can do the same logic with the free cash flow. So you, you saw that two, $3.19 per share free cash flow equity. I'll grow it the same way I grow EBITDA and I get long-term $5.60. Apply a yield to it, 3%, not the 1.7, it's a higher yield for some cushion. And I get a, val, a price target of $186 out 10 years from now for Pepsi. And what you're gonna notice here, if you've been following the channel for a while, that you just saw a market multiple decline. If the stock is trading at 19 or 20 times EBITDA right now, and I think in the future it's gonna trade at 16, that's gonna weigh on the price. That means every dollar of earnings is gonna be worth less in the future than it is today. And that price decline is gonna weigh on a company that even though it's growing earnings, its stock appreciation is going to be a lot less. And when we, when it's, it's true, when you put it into an IRR model, you have a stream of cash flow that you own. You buy the stock at today's price of $194. You sell it at just over 200 at 10 years later, you get an IRR of 3.2%, which is below, is below the U.S. Treasury yield right now at 5%. So I can buy a risk-free, risk-free U.S. Treasury bond, a 10-year bond paying 5% or so, and I'll make more money than a equity stock at 3%. And on a risk-adjusted basis, one being guaranteed by an entity that can print as much money as you want, implications aside, or a company that has to weather competitions, financial markets, market multiples, expansions, contractions, supply and demand, all that stuff, inflation, to get 3.2%, in my opinion, that means this, this market, this company is wildly overvalued. And I'm gonna show you something right here. So along with the cash flow forecast, we publish lots of other charts to help you visualize what's going on for this, why we just publish a one pager. That's why you wanna join the cash flow club. But what I wanna do is show you this one particular chart here, enterprise value, divided by EBITDA. Here's the EBITDA in blue lines, just what we just reviewed. Here is the enterprise value to market multiple, uh, with most currently kind of forward-looking numbers, 20 times enterprise value. And what you're gonna notice is most of the growth in the, is in the market cap that we saw here from 128 billion to a quarter trillion. That's, a, that's $130 billion of market cap gain in 10 years on a company that grew earnings by $2 billion. So an extra two billion a year 
means I get I get 110, 140 billion dollars or more market cap. That doesn't make any sense. The reason it doesn't make any sense is because the market multiple has expanded to 20 times from from 12. So if we take this company back to what it used to trade at, at 14, 16 times, that means the price is coming down. And that's why here I have a 16 or David has a 16 times market multiple on these shares as a precaution. And I think that means this stock market is wildly overvalued. We are seeing this across the board in a lot of stocks. If you watch this channel, I will go through in deep dive on lots of companies. And it's very difficult to find stocks that are growing revenue, growing earnings, have low debt and are well-priced, especially especially the big companies. Now, when you come down, you go, you go into small caps, you go even tinier, there are a lot of amazing deals. And we publish them in the cash flow club of companies that are yielding 10, 15% free cash flow that are trading at six, seven, eight times EBITDA uh, with low debt. I mean, those are, those are companies I think are very interesting and, worther, and warrant further due diligence. But I think the, the, the boon of passive investing that has happened over the last 30 years when Peter Lynch first came out with his random walk on Wall Street and revolutionized the idea of passive investing and, and riding the capital markets, it worked. It worked, why? Because you had a little bit of passive money following the coattails of a tremendous amount of, of deep dive value-based investing uh, analysts that were doing the hard work to keep price in line with value. What's happened over the 30 years is now more than half of the equity money traded in the United States is passively invested, which means no one is doing the fundamental analysis and saying, hey, does this worth the risk? They're simply buying the SPY, which sprinkles the money across all the stocks, whether it's overvalued or undervalued, it does not matter. The, 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 the index is required by its charter to spread the money on a math formula. And you see, you get the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in this case, this is bad, in my opinion, buying PepsiCo at 20 times EBITDA for a company that's growing over the last decade, 2% in earnings, 1% cash flow, with CapEx growing at 7% and it's already fully levered, that's not something I would bet on. Not at a 3% return, absolutely not. So I think this stock is indicative of a market that could collapse. Not collapse, you know, it's not like the meme stocks, the world is coming to an end. Just It's going to price adjust. And if you price adjusted this company by going from 20 times to say 15 times, you're going to wipe off billions of dollars of equity in the stock market very, very quickly. So be very careful what you buy. Do the fundamental analysis for yourself. Find a company you're going to own for 10, 20, 30 years or hold cash and wait for the market to climb. Remember, cash is an option on the future. So there's nothing wrong of holding. I know that there's some inflation out there, but I'd rather take a 5 6% um, loss on the purchasing power of my cash and avoid a 20 or 30% decline in the stock market. Especially if the stock market is declining, you want to have cash to be able to take advantage of that. Anyways, that's what's food for thought. Let's review the five key attributes for PepsiCo. Number one, top line revenue growth. Yes, check the box. Number two, EBITDA growth. Check the box. Number three, strong free cash flow. Yes. Number four, low debt. Yes. Number five, well priced. No, it is not. PepsiCo is an example of how the stock market itself is wildly overvalued, in my opinion, and it deserves uh, some time to cool off. Let's hang back 
Let's continue to dig through all the cash flow stocks and we will find some gems. Keep dropping stocks in the comment box below that you'd like me to review. I'm happy to do it. This is what David's work at the Cashflow Club. Check it out. There's a coupon floating out there for a free 30-day trial if you want to try to find it. I think it's in the Amazon video that I released earlier. You can go watch that one. But I really appreciate everyone who's signing up. We had a lot of people joining that coupon, a lot more activity going on in the club. I really appreciate all the, all the time from everybody. My name is Cameron Stewart, CFA. This is Rational Investing, where we look at stocks and try to figure out how much actual cash money do they make and what is a reasonable amount to pay for that stream of cash flow. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.